2: Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. And as promised, I'm here to share some bonus content from my cross-country book tour. At every city I traveled to, I was joined by a celebrity guests, people I've come to know over the years and can call friends. I know that sounds very name-droppy, doesn't it? The first interview I'm sharing with you is a timely one and just a really good conversation from my stop in Washington, D.C., where I interviewed the one and only Kara Swisher, tech journalist, podcaster, beloved nuisance to pretty much all of Silicon Valley. Well, I don't know how beloved she is, but you get the drift. Anyway, she's so smart and such a riot, so I hope you enjoy our conversation. My next guest is the master of new media and one badass podcaster, among many other things. So please welcome my friend, Kara Swisher. woman. Hey. How are you? Good. Good. Have a seat. Can I just tell
3: you what a production this is. I know. What do you think? I'm impressed. It's been really, really fun. It's like sentimental. It's badass. It's a lot of things going on at once. Thank you. A little hokey. I like it too. Is it a little hokey? A little, but it works. Okay, good. Good. Well, I don't know.
2: I think sometimes hokey is good. I thought this was only
3: for like like heavy metal concerts this place, but I like it. (laughs) You two look like you look like a crazy crowd. You could just get up at any time. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <I know>. Anyway, <laughs> Saturday night. So, yeah. let's talk about I mean, you're yeah. sort of everywhere. You're having a moment, Kara. Yeah. I think you've been having a moment for a while now. Mm-hmm. Tell everybody the kind of work you're doing because you're everywhere, right? Yes,
3: everywhere. I am everywhere. I am ubiquitous, Go and then, ahead. And then late, later, inevitable. Um, no, I, just, I have two podcasts. One for uh, New York Magazine called Pivot, where I argue with a straight white man every, every <laughs> twice a week, uh, named Scott Galloway. Um, it's, it's a sitcom. In the end, we're gonna fall in love in unlikely romance. Um, <laughs> And, they, and then I have Sway for the New York Times, which right. I'm wearing this. A friend yes. of mine gave it to me from that, that company that makes, at least it doesn't say Lingua go. Franca. Whatever. It, <laughs> I know they say go girl, which I would never wear, but this one is cool.
2: And you're also, you're writing uh, co- your columnist Columns for the, the New York, York Times. Times. Yep. And you're doing a new podcast after yes, succession, succession, right? Yes, yeah, because no. I'm obsessed with Succession. Yeah, my, why? Why are you obsessed with it? I've been,
3: I've been it? doing stuff with HBO for years around Silicon Valley and before that Game of Thrones, and I love Succession. I think it's a great show, um, and I and I just am a fan. And so I just I sit around and talk about it with different people about what's happened on the show. And, you know, not that it has anything to do with the Murdochs, but, you know, I worked for them for many years, and it's enjoyable to see a fictional version of Uncle Satan. So...
2: So. (laughs) Let's let's talk about the media landscape because sure. you, you and I are around the same age. Yes, I think we you're are. six years younger, give or take. Something like that. Yeah, and 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 as I was saying, when, when I got into the business, when you got into the business, it was extremely different. And I'm just curious, as you look at this extremely fragmented media landscape, mm-hmm. how do you think it's changed sort of the nature of our country and the quality of discourse that we're able to have?
3: Well, you know, you you were talking about the idea. I, Katie gave us a script, which none of us are going to follow, but. Um, <laughs> But nonetheless, I love that she does that. Like, Nicole and I are such quiet and retiring people. And it's like, here's the script. Well, I just wanted to give you like a little it. No, bit of I like, of it. A I like the whole Katie Couric production. <laughs> I call Katie, just so you know, my nickname for her is Katie fucking Couric. Because. <laughs> Because Thank I you. want her to be like the badass that I know she is underneath. Like she's naughty. Well, don't you think so I am, sir? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I'm but getting like, there. You're getting there. I yes. like that. So, I'm coming media out of my landscape, Christmas. and one of the reasons I got to know Katie is because she was at Yahoo, and I thought it was a real risk that you took. Not many people from the mainstream media moved into the areas that you did, and I thought that was striking. Actually, at the time, even though it wasn't completely successful, it was directionally correct. We yes. were doing. Exactly what a lot of people are doing on Substack or creating their own media brands or this and that, and nobody was doing that then. So I thought that was, you know, striking when you did it, and and I was I watched it very carefully. I think it was probably too early and in the wrong place. Yes, but the idea of a of a, a journalist as an entrepreneur, uh, and some people call it the report which I hate that word, but there <laughs> it is, um, and and I think it was I think. It, there is no such thing as mass media anymore. There's media right. that's in silos, there is, you know, there are networks and things like that, but when you joined CBS, it was already a declining asset, right? It was. Like, and so it was interesting that, that we still focus that way as if there's one place people get news. There it actually is, it's Facebook, um, but uh, it, it is. In the, most of the world it is, actually. And so it sort of has fractured and come together, and then a lot of these voices using these tech tools, which is what I started covering, right here in Washington DC for the Washington Post, I covered AOL, um, the beginnings. Even though it's sort of become a joke now, it wasn't. It was a really important moment in, in media history, really. And so it's fractured come together and then all these voices that maybe aren't quite so accurate have come into the fray. And so, so it, and it's ruined the media business itself, the advertising business, um, how people pay attention. And so it's a really,
2: it's, it's a very difficult time for media right now yeah, to actually so How do you see it all shaking out? Do you think it's, I mean, the, I get overwhelmed With content, and you—you know—there are not enough hours in the day Mm -hmm. to absorb and reflect on all. And I think some fantastic journalism is being done. Absolutely, it's just very hard to separate the wheat from the chaff.
3: Well, it's a little like TV, right? That's sort of dis—disintermediated rather substantively. There's all these things. There's a lot of competition. That's why you're getting some really—getting a lot of stuff, and then you're getting a lot of really good stuff. Same thing with media. It's disintermediated, and what part of me likes it? Like when you were starting out. There were three networks, run mostly by white straight men, right? who all lived on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and they got to decide things. Same thing with the New York Times, same thing here with the Washington Post. And so I like the idea of it being pushed outward right. so that lots of people can contribute. But what's happened is a lot of these tools have taken over that allow malevolent players to join the fray and start to mess up the whole information ecosystem. And so people live on a low, infor- low uh, nutrition information diet. Too right. many of them. They already did, but now they're, they're getting, they already didn't have good information. Now they're getting really bad, sort of sugary, uh, bad for your self information, which they
2: are now protecting as if it's the right information, it's the correct information. And I so then like, they defend it. I feel like we have to obviously, and, and you actually made a joke about this, mm-hmm. uh, we have to talk about Facebook because yeah. it's been in the crosshairs. I know you're dying to cover other things, but yeah. you just simply can't. Yeah. I did an interview at a Vanity Fair Summit you did. in 2017 great with Sheryl Sandberg, yes, I, wait it was 2019, I'm yeah. sorry, Was Sheryl Sandberg, um, and she got quite testy and it became really a little bit tense, but yeah. you had interviewed, I think, Mark Zuckerberg mm-hmm. a year prior to that, yes, did. and made a lot of news with that interview. Um, what are your impressions of Mark Zuckerberg today?
3: Well, it's been a journey, you know. One of the th- I'm working actually on a memoir of Silicon Valley right now. That I and I was recalling when I first met him, and the first thing he ever said to me is, "I heard you think I'm an asshole," um, and I said, "I you may be." Um, I don't know, I've never, uh, he's not an asshole, let me just say after all these years. Um, but what's happened, you know, that was a great interview, by the way, Katie. You should watch it if it's available because Cheryl is very smooth and was brought in to be the adult in the room. They always do that, as, but the man is 34 years old. He doesn't need, this, sort of the juvenileization of these tech people is, is comical in some ways. He's got children, et cetera, et cetera, but she was brought in to be the adult. Um, and so you pushed her very hard on the issues that I had started talking about because a relationship I developed with Maria Ressa, who has just won the Nobel Peace Prize. She started bringing me data, tons of data, about what was Facebook was doing to her and other activists and journalists in the Philippines, using, the government using it for propaganda. And so when you were pushing back on her, this was the first time you started to see real widespread questioning of what, how they were running the show over there, which was not well. Um, and even though they've gotten fabulously wealthy, even though they're very powerful and stuff like that. So it was a critical interview that you did with her because she was expecting sort of a, hey, Katie girl, you know, that kind of thing going on. And you did not deliver that. And I was thrilled. I no. think I texted you like, thank you. That yeah. Was
2: great. I, she was not, I haven't really talked to I her liked since. Cheryl, again, I haven't talked no, to her
3: since she, that interview, though. I haven't talked to her for many years, even though I knew her really well. But same thing with Mark. You know, that interview I did with her the year before was with him the year before it's when he said to me we were talking about Alex Jones and I'm like you're kicking him off the platform he's breaking every one of your rules don't you, who's running the show here if you're not going to do this and he started to do this sort of first amendment stuff and someone who I went finished college he did not I understood what the first amendment was he does not and, and so but I let him go on I let him go on and he nothing by the way If you don't want to go to college, that's great. It's whatever choice you make, but don't like make it as if it's a good thing, good to be uneducated, right? Like, or not to know what you're talking about. So he, um, uh, so he started talking about Alex Jones and I was like, you're gonna kick him off. He's like violating every one of your so-called rules here on this platform. And uh, he goes, well, let's shift to the Holocaust. And I'm like, oh, no, no, don't do that. But okay, sure, let's see where this goes. And he was sort of trying to set himself up um, saying that he even, as a Jewish person, tolerates Holocaust deniers. And he said something that, was re- that got a lot of news, which you were talking about, which you said, you know, Holocaust deniers don't mean to lie. And I just sat there like, huh? Like, and of course, it was, I learned a lot of interviewing from you. I just, like, the Palin interview was so brilliant, um, where I just was like, oh, they don't, huh? That's kind of the definition of a Holocaust denier, but okay, um, tell me more. And, which is, you, you use, to much effect. And so he started talking about this and sort of ran himself right into the wall, essentially. And since then, um, he's continued to do so, I think. Oh, and as you can see from these documents from Francis Haugen.
2: We'll talk about those documents right after this.
4: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip.
0: at
2: Let's talk about those documents. Sure. Uh, more than what, 10,000 pages? More and, to come. Yeah, and more to come. What do you think were some of the most damning Things that those documents show, because there are a lot of damning yes. things. But yes. what were sort of the top three things? Well,
3: I'll tell you what the media focused on was teen girls. Although I didn't, I, I know I didn't I, think that was the most important thing. I Even agree. though it is important, I have teenagers, um, and I understand they're teenage boys, but. Uh, and I have a daughter now who's two, um, and I think about it a lot. But I think one of the things that was most important was the thing that Maria was talking about is how Facebook impacts the rest of the world and how sloppy they are in terms of monitoring their platform for malevolent players. And it's one of these things, I I did an interview with Mark Benioff, who's head of Salesforce. He compared them to cigarette companies. I I don't think they're quite down that evil highway. There's not a memo that goes, hey, we know it's a mess, but let's, let's screw them anyway. Let's kill them anyway. So I think what they're doing is it, they're showing a company that has no grasp of what they've created, except that they have enormous impact everywhere around the world, whether it's, you know, election misinformation or anti-vacc- anti-vaccination information, if you want to call it that, um, or whatever, whatever it happens to be, wherever it is around the world, this is a platform that's proliferated like... I don't know, mold? I don't know what to call it, but it's everywhere. It's everywhere all around you. And they're not monitoring it correctly, nor do they have an idea of what to do. And so what do they do? They rebrand. Why right. not?
2: Let's, yes. Yes. Will Let's talk, talk the about problem. the rebranding of Meta. Facebook. Meta is now the name of Facebook. I call it Feta, but go ahead. Feta? Yeah. As, it's in, a better-tasting solution. <laughs> yeah. so, so this is, on a, this is a really a fascinating thing because this was just announced by Mark Zuckerberg. Yes. And um, first of all, what do you think was the, the goal of rebranding, but also... What is the metaverse okay. that Facebook is trying to create and why are they trying to do it?
3: The metaverse is an old idea. This is, you know, you've seen it in all these movies. You've seen The Matrix, anything. You've seen lots and lots, Tron. There's all kinds of ideas, which is uh, Ready Player One. It started with Snow Crash, Neil Stevenson. Um, it's the idea that you live in the, the physical and digital worlds combined. Singularity, um, sing- really, right? No, no that- that's becoming a machine.
2: Okay. Katie, try
3: to keep up. I'm sorry. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> that's where you put a, a chip in your brain, like Elon is working on, Elon Musk. Right. And then and you're that's a robot. Ray, what's his name? What that Ray guy? Who's Ray-, Ray Kurzweil. Yeah, singular. Yeah. So that's the machines and us coming together. But this is living
2: in a living.
3: You live like he showed off a really creepy video. I don't know if you saw it because Marcus specializes in creepy videos. Um, <laughs> and he, you know, he's playing cards with his friends and they're and floating. And isn't he fencing? He's fencing. He's doing. It's this idea that you'll escape into this world and then move back and forth between your physical. It's an old idea, it's an old and interesting idea. Now the metaverse has been created by lots of companies. Facebook is making a massive land grab to take over. They bought Oculus, they've got a lot of, very smart purchase back then. But one of the problems he has is that he's losing young people uh, he, you know, teens. If you talk to any teen, they will not go near Facebook. Essentially, um, and so and even Instagram is losing young people. It is, yes, it is. And so, one of the problems that he has, he's got to stay relevant. He also can't buy things because the government finally is perking up its ears and going, maybe we should possibly do our job and regulate this industry. Right.
2: So, so this is really a business play, isn't
3: it? Yes. No. I, it's to, it's it's a lot of things. He's got to, he's got to move in another direction. Well, he's like he's, he's got to pivot. Like, well, yeah. So he's, well, he's got a dumpster fire, and he's like, pay no attention to that. I'm going to go over here to the metaverse where we're going to change my costume ten times. It's great. fine. We're gonna do it. You're gonna wear glasses and someday, but you'll all be dead, so it won't matter. So <laughs>
2: for you, for <laughs> but, the kids, the kids will love it. But do you? Think I'm this, not sure the kids will love it. By the way, you, really, no. Well, what about this document dump? Do you think this is, you know, I know earlier this month you said it's not gonna change anything. Yeah. Um, and now I feel like you've moved into the direction of, hey, maybe this is the last straw. Maybe the government, as you Here's said, why. will do its job. Here's why, I just interviewed Ken Buck, who's from Colorado. He worked with David
3: Cicilline. This is a conservative from Colorado uh, who, uh, who is very conservative, working with a gay Democrat from Rhode Island to bring legislation together. That doesn't happen often. I mean, they can't decide on lunch. Congress can't do that. And so they are working together in a bipartisan way that, that is mostly helpful. And they're, they're putting up bills. Senator Klobuchar is one of them. Um, there's a whole bunch of them, but it's actually quite bipartisan, and that's what's great about it. Um, we'll see if it gets anywhere, because they do, look. they can't seem to do anything anymore. And the level of partisanship is so high, and in this case, it, it isn't. People do recognize power is the problem, power of all
2: tech, not just Facebook, but others companies. And, and that, part of it good. is to have more competition, right? I mean, I think isn't that what Amy Klobuchar yes, is really pushing for? Yes, competition will solve a
3: lot. Same thing with Ken Buck. And I think you know, every now and then Ted Cruz lobs in an idiotic comment, but otherwise it's just his job, I think. Um, you know, tweet something. <laughs> he's a big tweeter. <laughs> he's such a bad he's such a bad tweeter.
2: More from Kara Swisher and my book tour right after this.
4: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought
0: in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.
4: This is Uncanny USA. searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote this is it
0: your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global when you come back with a purdue global degree you create opportunity for yourself your family and your future
2: Earn trust again from people who are consuming it, or do you think that just doesn't apply because it's so well fractured? Did they trust the media before? That's the good.
3: That's a bigger question. I, I think levels of trust among the press historically have been very low. I just think they had that Watergate moment. I mean, look at the pushback you've gotten for the Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We talked about it on Sway. Um, you know that people. It played into a narrative that you're the fix is in among the libs to protect
2: this and that. I think in that case, you can talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was something that I I wanted to write about because I personally admired Justice Ginsburg a great deal and everything that she had done for equality. Mm -hmm. Um, And and when I asked her about Colin Kaepernick, she had some very harsh words. She said, people who kneel during the national anthem are dumb and arrogant and dumb and disrespectful and, and she used the words stupid and arrogant and it was sort of surprising to me. I went back and her office called and said she misunderstood the question. She wasn't oh. really following the story that carefully. And then she made some other offhanded comment about it being contempt for a government and that these people are much better off here than the countries they came from. I ended up using two minutes of her answer. She had to issue a statement saying she misspoke, her words were unnecessarily harsh and dismissive. But that one piece, I thought, I wasn't sure what she was saying, I bristled, and I think I raised that in the book because I think it was a mistake. That I should have included it and that I let some of my personal um, you know, my, my admiration for her get in the way of my judgment. Right. And I thought that it would be actually helpful to be transparent because journalists make these editorial decisions every day. Right. I've talked to many journalists through the years who have made sort of decisions Certainly. that they're yeah. not... Look at the, not, all the coverage of John Kennedy. Like, yeah, they that they're him. not totally comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I chose to include it. And, and I still think that transparency is really helpful when it comes to trusting the media. And I was on Stephen Colbert the other night, and I said, you know, if, if some of these organizations admitted that journalists are human beings, mm-hmm. and they sometimes don't make the right decisions, like if NBC said it was a mistake for us to sit on these Access Hollywood tapes so that the Washington Post had to break it, or that CNN said we shouldn't have allowed Chris Cuomo to yuck it up with his governor brother with a giant Mm Q-tip at the height of the pandemic, and then not say a word about sexual harassment allegations. Yeah. And you know, or that CBS shouldn't have handed NDAs out like Halloween candy that pushed out talented women and kept sexual harassers employed. Yeah. So I think that admitting sometimes when you make bad decisions yeah. is being transparent would actually increase trust, but maybe I'm wrong. No,
3: I don't think so at all. I mean, I, I have a very different career than yours in that way in that I'm always like, that's an idiot. You know, and they're like, you, you have to be, you can't be biased. I'm like, oh, I'm biased, that's right. <laughs> like I'm a person, like what do you think? I'm not affected by the world, I have children, I have a life, I've got, you know, I'm gay, like I have opinions. And I think one of the things we did at All Things D and later at Rico was we had like multi-page disclosures and then we, we trust the audience, we don't hide from them. Yeah. Um, we don't hide from them because I think that was the thing is keeping yourself apart from audiences you can't do that anymore as a no. journalist, can you? You just have to be really close. And you have to be okay with, like you were just talking about it, you didn't like disagreement, you want everyone to like you. I luckily started out life wanting everyone to dislike me, and therefore <laughs> everything is uphill from here. <laughs> um, uh, and so it, it, it frees you if you think like that. On and it doesn't mean not doing reporting, by the way.
2: No, it doesn't. But on the other hand, I do think that media has become so bifurcated and it's either you know CNN or Fox, CNN, MSNBC or Fox, and I think there is a craving for people yes. to hear news and information in an unbiased way that's not commentary mm-hmm. that li- allows them to take it in and make their own opinions. Well, except, except you
3: have these these new information environments with like the big lie thing. Look at all right, I agree with you. pretzeling themselves not to say what the truth is. That like, the election it, was yes. not rigged. Well, yes, or else they just sit there like, as if they're, you're asking if they're wearing pantyhose. I don't know what, they're like, oh no, I cannot say this thing because Donald Trump will somehow tweet against no, me. I totally- he's not going to tweet, he's off Twitter, and by the way, for the rest of his life. And
2: I, so. I totally agree with you because I think it, it, it is really challenging to be objective. You know, first of all, that's, that, that's a very... Um, I think fraught word but it's very hard to be objective when it's not left right but it's right wrong and when somebody is per- perpetrating a lie right. and you feel like you have to call that out that makes people automatically think you're on one side when you're actually just trying to tell the truth.
3: Yes, but that's what that group of malevolent players is trying to do. They're gaming the system and they do it either through you know, Facebook memes or, or all, all over the internet. They do it all over the place. And, and they're playing that game. And meanwhile, you're like going, no, 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 no. And so I think one of the things that has to happen is there's a whole bunch of people, I think. Um, there's a lot of noisy people on either side. Um, and they're not equal, by the way. There's not fine people on both sides, um, especially in that particular incident. Um, and, and there's a lot of people in the center going, I don't know, I care about my kids, the COVID thing, why do these scientists, like even just around COVID, it is confusing. What shot should I take? Do I need a shot? Do I need a mask? And it's so we used to be able to have these discussions easily. When, it's, when there's a noise going on around you, a persistent digital noise almost all the time, you live in a state of constant fear and worry and too much information. So this idea of removing the gatekeepers is an excellent idea, except sometimes gatekeepers do matter. Right, trusted gatekeepers. The question is now people pick their trusted based on, on on am I, like you know I talked to you about my mom with Fox News like oh my God I had, my brother who's a doctor and I uh, I'm not a doctor um, uh, convinced her it's the flu it's the flu. Sean Hannity says it's the flu. I'm
2: like, Sean Hannity's a horse's ass, but let us. Wait, begin. so your, mo- your brother?
3: My brother's a doctor,
2: yeah. And, and, but he, he tells your mom the truth. Yes. But and she believes Sean Hannity over your brother. She's
3: like, oh, I can go out. It's just the flu. It's like, the, at the beginning, I wrote a column about this in the Times, and Sean Hannity, and, comma, horse's ass, um, uh, threatened to sue me. <laughs> Good luck. Like, come on, it's right up there, fine, you know. And so he, he's written to a bunch of people at, at the Times. Um, but about these, because Fox News continues, now they're doing the big lie stuff, now they're doing this. Um, but it's not really a Fox News problem as much as it's these, the ability to have information at anywhere at any time without any vetting creates a really noisy information environment. Now, luckily, I think younger people do sort of understand. I don't think they're quite as... Shifted as people who lived in the old information environment are moving to the new one. They're not as discombobulated. I don't think so. I think they pick and choose really... I mean, my kids are like that. Um, And I think that they have a sense that not everything is true, nor was it before, because, again, it was picked by certain... The stories that were... You talked about this in the book a lot. You should talk about it, because the way you covered certain things back when, whether it was Matthew
2: Shepard or or riots or things like that, it was a whole different viewpoint from right. what was actually happening. Right. And I do talk a lot about that, about you know our, our perceptions of <clears throat> what it meant to be gay in America. Mm-hmm. The way we covered the Rodney King beating. I mm-hmm. talked to the white victim and we didn't really talk too much about how it was a reaction to, to the, the riots were a reaction to the Rodney King, the, the acquittal of those police, white police officers. Yeah. So I think we're, we're really appreciating, retrospectively, um, how we had blind spots in many of these areas. Except
3: everyone now is a news person with their camera, with their phone, with their video. And sometimes it works out well. And sometimes it can be, decept- decept- especially as you can manipulate it. And by the way, when you get into this metaverse, and deep the company and- that brought you the social media mess we have is now, why don't you think about what could happen in a metaverse situation? A very, as it surrounds us, and one of the things I mean, finally I'd say is this pandemic has shown how much we rely on these digital tools and, and to get our information, to get our deliveries, to get, our, to get to work, to do education, which did not work out really well. And our reliance on these companies, which are complete, may I just say, Washington, completely unregulated. There, there's zero laws regulating the internet. And the one that it does exist is, a, is, a, is in an act and it helps it. It, it removes liability from right. So these Section companies can't be sued and they have no regulation. Right. Sounds like a great prescription for disaster. Um, and so one of the things that we've shown in the pandemic is they've never been richer. They've, the 10 top people in the world are all tech people. The 10 top companies except for Saudi Aramco are tech companies.
2: They've doubled and tripled their wealth during the pandemic. Lights should be going off here in Washington. What, how do you see, in the two minutes we have, yep. how do you see things shaking out? What do you, if you looked in your crystal ball and looked mm-hmm. five years from now, how do you see the media landscape changing? Will there be a network newscast, for example? No, no network no. news, evening news? No. And so what will our media ecosystem look like?
3: I think you'll see a lot of brands like you're doing with Katie Kurt Media. You're sort of, you're directionally correct again, right? <laughs> you're not, you're di- Hopefully not too early not this Not too time. early, no, you're just perfect timing. Um, but I think one of the things is that it's just, it, it, there will be new brands built around People and trusted people, and you pick and choose among them. There'll be obviously the big, I think, news organizations like the Washington Post and the New York Times. They're they're doing well right now, although everyone's seen
2: a Trump slump.
3: He was correct.
2: And there's that. also a lot of internal uh, debate about how to cover the news at those organizations as well. Right, exactly, so you can see that. And I think think things will settle down,
3: like the beginning of the printing press, the beginning of TV, the beginning of radio, all saw a lot of hubbub, and then it just calmed itself down as people understood. My worry is that the people that are running these things are particularly ill-equipped to also deal with societal issues, political issues, uh, governmental, like it, it, It's amazing that in the case, let's get back to Mark, one person who cannot be fired, people don't realize this, he has stock where he cannot be fired, is unaccountable, runs the biggest comedian communications company in the world, without, and he's a very nice guy, but honestly, do we really want that to happen? And so that's what you have to start thinking about, is where can the new
2: innovation come in news? where can the new idea of what we're getting stuff. And that was my problem at yeah. Yahoo, because yeah. it was a tech company, it wasn't a media company. Yeah, and I told you that. Yeah, I, you did. Yeah. And content and, and, and content wasn't sort of in, in, in the company's DNA. No, they and don't care if it's cats or Katie Couric, they don't care. No, they didn't care, no. so that ergo was the problem. I like Katie Couric more than cats, and yeah. they both
3: have the word in it. So. Well, I'm so happy you Thank came. Thank you. By. She's Kara. a great journalist. Did you do, everybody, give it to her. No, you are.
2: Thank you to Kara Swisher. We'll link out to that interview I did with Sheryl Sandberg back in 2019 in the description of this podcast. You can also find it in the Next Question feed. The episode is called Is It Time to Unfriend Facebook? I guess we're a little ahead of our time. next question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen. Associate producers, Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Curick on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: work.